I have always been fascinated with radio waves. It's just always amazed me how these things are just through the sky and landing up in my car. But here's what I found out. I can be listening to my favorite radio station and with one little, I am now in static. Right? And one little, and I'm back on my station. It only takes a click and I've gone from station to static. And we need to understand that it works exactly like that in the kingdom. It's just a little bit of, of the enemy trying to poison. And before you know it, you're off the station and into the static. Acts chapter 14, verse 1, it says, Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconium, and to the surrounding country. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Amen. Uh, last week's passage, this week's passage, next week's passage, they're all very similar in the formula, you might say which is that, the, that Paul and his companions, Paul, Barnabas, and, and whoever was part of the team, would literally go into the synagogue. They would begin to preach Jesus, explain how he was the Messiah that was promised, that he's the Savior of the world. And uh, always there was a good response predominantly. There was a lot of people that would receive that message, that would get excited about it. But there were others that did not especially from the Jewish side of the fence. And they would really begin to try to uh, stir up something, create difficulties, whatever they could do to try to shut the work of God down. <clears throat> now, like I said uh, two weeks ago, that as we read in our text right there, that signs and wonders or miracles were always part of the gospel presentation. And, and I really want you to get that in your head, that you understand that part of evangelism all through the scriptures was the miraculous working. And that's the reason why I encourage you, I encourage you that when you see an opportunity, somebody's hurting, somebody has a need, uh, whatever, when you see an opportunity to be able to say, can I pray with you, that you would be bold enough to do that. Here's the reason why. Because if they're not a Christian or, or you're not sure where they're at, whatever, if you can pray with them, you are giving God an opportunity to do what God has always done, and that's step in and do something miraculous. So they're hurting, and you say, can I pray with you about your pain and your hurt? And you pray with them, and God does something that seals even more their interest that God cares about them. So always seize every moment you can to pray and to encourage somebody to say, hey, I'll pray with you about that because I believe God loves you and wants to do something for you. Okay? Now, that's all I'm going to say about that because that's not my message today. 
The main point of what I do want to focus on is the spiritual pattern that we see right here in the scripture. I mean, it is very, very clear in this passage. Uh, and yet we see it all the way through the ministry of Paul and what he's trying to do. So here's a pattern. You ready? Uh, a work of God begins. A work for God begins. Somebody is trying to do something for God. And guess what? But their adversaries arise. There's, there's resistance. Somehow, as soon as you start trying to do what God wants you to do, when, whenever the work of God begins, there will be an adversary. Uh, those working keep obeying and moving forward. Okay? And then the next one says, but so do those who oppose the work. And before I get to the last one, you try to do the work the Lord has called you to do. It's got resistance. But you make up your mind that this is what the Lord wants you to do. There's still more resistance. So whatever you do, God, whatever you do for God, the devil's going to throw in a butt. But there was adversaries, but there's difficulties. But you're going to go ahead and do what you feel like the Lord has called you to do. You're going to continue doing the work of the ministry. But he's going to go ahead and continue to work against you. And then that brings you to the last one. Adjustments are made. And the work continues. That is a biblical pattern that you will see over and over and over. And it's in motion even today. But I, there's probably not a better example of it than to jump back into the Old Testament and look at Nehemiah, who rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem, if you remember that. Now, some of you may not have been in Nehemiah lately, but us next-gen people, we've been in there for a couple of three months. But I want you to notice something. Nehemiah goes to Jerusalem, right, to do what the Lord has put upon his heart, and that is to rebuild the wall. And even though the Israelites that are in that area are all excited about it, and are gung-ho to do it, the Bible tells us that there was adversaries to it, right? Samballot, Tobiah, the Arabs, they all were like, uh-uh, we, we don't want this to happen. But the children of Israel had a will to work, and so they continued to press forward. And the Bible tells us that when they got the wall about halfway up, the enemy came back again with threats that he was going to tear the wall down, that he was going to fight against them. And yet, what did Nehemiah do? He quit and went home and said, I'm going back to the king. No. Nope. Bible tells us very clear that he adjusted. And he strapped on armor. He gave him swords and spears and said, we're going to keep working, but we're going to be ready to fight at any moment. You see, that pattern is a necessity for the, for the work of God to do what the work of God's supposed to do. We should never be surprised that our enemies are always going to rise up when you're trying to do something good. That is a normal cor course of things. So if you were to take that and put that into motion and understand that that's just the way the principle works, then let's say, suppose, for instance, we said, you know what? We feel like the Lord is leading us to start a ministry on the campus of LCCC. What would happen? There would be resistance. 
It might start off with some of the people that are in the administrative area. It might be what? I don't know. But I guarantee if you were to try to start a ministry there, there would be some kind of resistance. And then at that point right there, hopefully you would say, you know, we thought this was going to happen. We're just going to keep plugging along. We're not going to get discouraged and quit. And so we keep at it. And guess what? So does the resistance. So does the enemy. He continues to keep coming against you. Folks, you ought, to th- you ought to thank God for that because that shows you're doing something good. But the bottom line is, is instead what we do is we get discouraged and we want to quit because of it. It was so hard. Well, yeah, but if we refuse to be discouraged, if we continue to do what we feel like the Lord has told us to do, whatever that might be, whatever we got to do to adjust and stay on task, doing what God has called us to do, the end of the story is, is that we will do something sustainable for the Lord. Paul saw this over and over, but it works on a very personal level too. You, whoever you are, you feel like the Lord wants you to do something. So you say, you know what? I feel like the Lord wants me to go with a Sunday school class. I feel like the Lord wants me to teach his Sunday school class. So you start teaching that Sunday school class. Well, there's some kind of resistance. Well, this is a Sunday school class. The enemy's like, well, there's some kind of resistance. It was really funny because uh, uh, Kevin and Kelly are starting the, the uh, college and career class up there. And she came to me between the services because they were in the first service and they're now upstairs. And she came to me and she said, you could not have described what today is like better. I said, every obstacle imaginable has hit today. But see... That says to me, God's got something good in store if we continue. But let, whatever it is, you feel like the Lord wants you to do it, then guess what? There's going to be some kind of resistance. And when that resistance comes, you know what? One of two things. You quit or you persist. You, 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 you determine, nope, I'm not quitting. This, causes, this is harder than I thought it was going to be. I'm going to go ahead and stay with it. And if you commit to stay in there and not quit, guess what? The enemy commits to. I ain't quitting either, bud. And he's going to stay right there, continuing to apply whatever pressure he can. But if you make some adjustments, do whatever you need to do, but you stay the course, you commit to what it is that God has, you feel that God has told you to do, something lasting can come from it. Something lasting can come from it. But do remember this, because quit is always an option. And unfortunately, so many people nowadays tend to go with the quit. But if you don't quit, something effective can happen. Something brings glory to God can happen. And we know that right here, they established a church in Iconium. And when they come back through, the Bible tells us that they, that they put the elders in place and a church was started right there. And it must have been in a very effective church because history tells us that 400 years later, Empress Helena literally was so captivated by 
the work of God there, that she spent her own money and built a church for the Christians there. 400 years and it was still going. You see, that's the result of not quitting. That's the result of seeing that their enemy is persistent and resisting, but you are consistent and stay with it just as much. Never measure success by the difficulty of the undertaking or its immediate results. Never measure success by the difficulty. In fact, the difficulty pretty much determines the outcome of the success. You know, I praise the Lord that our salvation was very difficult. <laughs> when you consider what the Lord had to go through for us, and yet he did not, he did not stop. And now there are millions of Christians all over the world because he became the firstborn of all the brethren that we call brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. All right. I think that there is a mentality sometimes that is prevalent that people begin to think that the enemy is working harder now than ever before. I'm going to challenge that. I don't. I think he always works hard. Okay? But what I do think is, is, is that we are no longer the same in our resistance. You see, the, the fact that, that there are overseas still people that are threatened to go to church. There are still people whose lives are in jeopardy. There is such great resistance um, and, and persecution and everything. It, it's, it's never changed. Folks, do you understand? It's really never changed. Wherever the church has really been dynamic in its form, there has always been great resistance. In America, though, it's different because the compromises that have the church has made so many compromises that it is very difficult to really <laughs> see how much Satan has done because we just gave it to him by not resisting, by not being strong. Well, you know, if we've got to change our theology because it'll make us more acceptable, we'll just change our theology. That's compromise. And the church has done so much of it. And why has it done so much of it? Well, I think it's because... We don't want the battle. We don't want the resistance. I don't think the, the enemy is working harder. I think the church in America has gotten softer and quitting has become easier. And that's got to change for a lasting work to happen. We must go past the resistance. And when there's more resistance, we've got to keep going past that. Whatever we have to do, we have to do because we're trying to see a, a, a long-lasting work established for the kingdom. You see, I, my concern is, is that it does not cost us much to be identified as a Christian. And so we don't get bold because we don't want to draw the enemy's attention. Look at me. The church needs to make the enemy mad. We need to stand with such a, a commitment 
and resolve to do what God has called us to do, to break down the darkness and to bring the loss into the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We have got to make such a commitment that it makes the enemy mad. Because if we're not making him mad, we're not doing something sustainable over the years. All right. That's the pattern. That's the pattern that you always see in ministry. Um, there's one, there's one line in today's passage that I want to focus the rest of my attention on. And it's this line right here. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. The unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. The Jews poisoned the Gentiles' minds. That really captivated me when I saw that. Do you know how poisoning works? I didn't. So I went online. Now I'm a little bit nervous. That maybe I, I'm on a watch list, you know. Now that I've been studying out how to poison somebody. Now I didn't, that's not actually what I was. I, I, I studied how does poisoning work. But I'm going to tell you so that you do not have to research and get on the same list that I might be on. But here's what I did not know. What happens when somebody's poisoned? It's basically two things. First of all, poison attacks the major organs, like the heart and the lungs, uh, and begins to shut them down. And the result of that is that there are usually seizures and paralysis and respiratory failure. Now you know. What's interesting to me is how that spiritually relates. The enemy poisons and our heart starts shutting down. And we don't realize the paralysis that's beginning to set in so that we don't have what we had. Uh, Poison is deadly because in so many cases, a person doesn't realize they're poisoned until it begins to show up. And when it begins to show up, now it's really late because it has done damage inside the body. Um, The Bible tells us that the Jews poisoned the Gentiles' minds, poisoned their minds. And though that's not something that people really do much anymore as far as actually trying to poison somebody, uh, the thing is, is if they were to try to do that, it would be realistic that they'd try to do it without you knowing, right? And that's the way the enemy's working. He's always trying to poison He's always trying to lead you in a direction that is detrimental for you without you realizing that he is now moving you in a direction. In fact, I want to challenge you to understand as we go to Genesis chapter 3 that this is probably the most original plan Satan has in his playbook. It has been his work since the beginning. And, and we're going to see it as we read it. Genesis 3, 1. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? 
The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the playbook of the enemy is basically to get your thinking in a new direction. And he's going to try two different things to make that happen. He's going to try to get you to focus on a negative, or he's going to try to get you to focus on a doubt. The negative that we see right here is God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be open. That's a negative. What's he, what's he communicating there? You know what? God's trying to keep you down. He's trying to hold you back. He doesn't want you to be like, this means you could be like God. And I cannot tell you because how many times I have been amazed in, in, in visiting with somebody or just hearing other people talk, how many times that people believe that the Lord really wants less than their best. In fact, you may be here in this room right this moment and you may not be absolutely sure that God wants your best all the time. That what he's always doing, that every don't do that and every do do that is for your best. He's not trying to hold you down. Don't worry, you're not going to be God ever. Okay? But everything that he is doing is for your best. And yet, that is a, is a thought so many people just don't get. They don't have that in their, in their concept of God. And then the other thing is a doubt. You created a doubt by asking a question. Did God actually say? You will not die. <laughs> he looked at Eve as plain as can be and he says, God's not really going to kill you for this. He just created you. You, 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 you totally misunderstand God. You don't, you don't really get the picture. He's not going to kill you for this. And you know what? Today, we are surrounded by that, that very doubt or that very questionable thought right there. Will God really send you to hell? Will your sin actually put you in hell? I mean, if God's loving, then, you know, I'm sure he understands you remember what I said? I don't remember what I said a week ago, two weeks ago, I don't remember. God does not send anybody to hell. You earn it. It's called the wages of sin. It's your disobedience that causes you to suffer the punishment of hell. God didn't send you there. In fact, God loved you all the way there because that's how he is. <clears throat> but these are the things Satan does regularly. This is, this is how he works to poison minds, and he is good at it. Never underestimate him. But he wants us to either focus on some negative or some doubt. And the negative stuff that often he gets us focused in on is people's failures. People's failures. He would love to distract you from the goodness of God to somebody's failure, how somebody has hurt you, 
how somebody has done you wrong. Well, I'm not going to church because it's full of hypocrites. No, it's full of imperfect people. You don't have to go to church to find a hypocrite. All you got to do is go to work. But he tries to get you to focus in on the negatives, the failures of people, the hurts, the prayers that have not been answered yet. How many of you got a prayer that hasn't been answered yet? That's, that, that's, not, that, that's not a doubt that you should have about God because that's not a negative. But God loves you. But if he did everything exactly the way we wanted him to do it on the timetable that we wanted him to do it, we would be a disaster. We'd be a mess. Or maybe his negative he wants you to focus in on is uh, the many disappointments that you've had in your life. Again, how many of you have had a disappointment? And you lived. Wow. I told him in the first service, I said, I had a disappointment yesterday when Texas got beat in the last minute. <laughs> then lo and behold, I had an Oklahoma person back there. He said, I liked you, pastor, until you got to that part. <laughs> but you know, the enemy works on both sides of the county or the state line. No. Anyway, point is, I digress. We've all had disappointments and there are major disappointments in life. A lot of things that didn't, didn't turn out the way that you thought they were going to turn out. Listen, don't let the enemy ever take a negative and get you so focused in on it that you begin to question who God is and his character of God. Uh, another way that he likes to focus our attention is on the, uh, is to interject falsehoods. False thinking into our, into our mind. Uh, I'm just going to share a few that I, I've run into with quite a few people at different times. Here's a false thinking, and that is you failed too many times. I can't tell you how many times I have I've seen somebody who questioned that God loves them because they have failed so many times. Listen, it does not matter how many times you keep struggling with that one area in your life and how many times you fall in the middle of trying to overcome it. Hear me, hear me, hear me. The love of God is not conditioned to your success or failure. If you love him and your your goal and your heart's desire is to serve him, it doesn't matter if you fail a lot. He doesn't ever look at you and go, I am so tired of working with you. You are such a mess. I was a mess. Some may say I still am. But I praise God he doesn't quit. He never quits. Another one, God understands everybody sins. We still fail. We sometimes make bad choices. But I praise God. If you were here last week, I'm pretty sure, I gave you our, our gospel message. Remember our gospel message? First part of our gospel message is 
Jesus died for our sins to forgive us of our sins and to transform us from sinners to saints. The Bible is very clear. Do we go ahead and sin? Do we go ahead and God forbid? How can we who have been redeemed from that live any longer in that? We have been saved from that, okay? Am I perfect? No. Do I, do I sometimes mess up? Yes. But do I willfully do the things? Do I just go ahead and say, you know what? God understands this bad mouth I've got, so he's not gonna say anything. He's probably not upset when I use his, his name in vain. Oh, yes, he is. And you don't have to use his name in vain because God gives you the power to overcome that sin. And then the other one, and, I, and this is only three I'm going to mess with, but it, it, it is definitely a falsehood that I see people struggling with. You ready? Here it is. Compared to him, I'm a pretty good Christian. Compared to some of the people that I know that I go to church with, I'm a pretty good Christian. I got good news for you. Or maybe it's bad news. I don't know. You decide. You're never going to be compared to the other people in this sanctuary. So it doesn't matter if you're one step ahead or 10 steps ahead. It doesn't matter because we are compared to God's son. We are compared. See, that's the reason why he's holy and, and, and we are to be holy like he's holy. I don't have to be as holy as Trent. I have to be as holy as Christ. It's a falsehood to ever think that anything in your walk with Christ is comparable to somebody else. No, it's your walk with Christ as measured by Jesus and the word. And that's why when he looks at you, he doesn't look at you and say, you faithful one, you faithful, faithful. That's F-A-I-T-H-F-U-L. You faithful servant who was so much better than Bill. Not as good as Bob, but better than Bill. Enter in. No. He's going to say, you faithful servant. Enter in. So don't let that ever. But here's the thing. That's the way the mentality tends to work. I have always been fascinated with radio waves. It's just always amazed me how these things are just through the sky and landing up in my car. But here's what I found out. I can be listening to my favorite radio station and with one little, I am now in static. Right? And one little, and I'm back on my station. It only takes a click. And I've gone from station to static. And we need to understand that it works exactly like that in the kingdom. It's just a little bit of, of the enemy trying to poison. And before you know it, you're off the station and into the static. Just that little bit. And I said this to you because I really want you to get this about this, the increments, the small increments that the enemy uses to poison, to deceive, to lead us off track. And I said this to you uh, last week, I think. 
Satan's best deception is to serve up something false and a message that sounds good. His best deception is to stick a little poison in there. Stick a little false ideology. Biggest one is this. Stick a little humanism in there. The result is always the same. It poisons the mind. And I don't know about you, but I, my heart's broken sometimes when I think of all of the people that used to be in love with Jesus, who used to be involved in church, who used to be passionate and in the Bible. What happened? It's real simple. Poison. Because when the enemy comes in with some kind of negative or some kind of doubt or whatever it is and begins to bring poison, then guess what begins to happen? Their convictions about church, about Jesus, their joy, their excitement to be involved and, and to be growing, all these things begin to go. Their hunger for the Lord their, their, their desire to want to get up in, in the morning or in the evening, whenever it is, and spend some time with Jesus and, and, and to let the word of God begin to transform their life. All those things begin to just, why? Because a poison has set in. And unless they treat the poison, it continues to shut stuff down. And they don't even realize that they're going into Paralysis. But that's not where I want to stop. I want to turn your attention to Philippians 4.8 because I praise God for preventative medicine. And everybody's probably familiar with it. And so we're going to do it together. Ready? I'm going to read the part. When I stop, you say what's next. Finally, brothers, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, whatever is, Whatever is, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Listen, the enemy's ploy is to focus you on the negative. You've got to have your mind in the positive. Your mind needs to be in the areas of things that are true and honorable and just and pure. And you know what? The Bible meets all that criteria. So in reality, the greatest prevention against poisoning is the word of God. Amen. Because boy, it'll make you smell it. Mm, that don't smell right. I think there's poison in that. But if you're here and you suspect that maybe you have been poisoned a little bit, your passion hasn't been what it was supposed to be. Your joy, your, your excitement, your, your, your gumption to serve God. Well, if you feel like maybe there's been a little poison, then here's a verse of scripture that is a cure. 2 Corinthians 10.5. We take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. 
we take captive. Listen, you got to take that thought that it doesn't matter. That I, I, I'm not sure that, that the Lord really loves me. Why is my life so hard? If my life was easier, I would know the Lord's graciousness and kindness. But my life is hard, so I'm not sure. Whatever it is, that negativity, you have got to capture it. Because if you do not capture it, it will continue to lead you down a path of harm for your life. So you've got to capture it. And the best way to live so that that thought stays captured is to go right back up to the other passage, Philippians 4, 8, and focus your attention where your attention needs to be focused. So that God can speak and lead you and heal you in every area of your life. I know I've said this before, but it's worth reiterating. I have never seen a person who dropped out of church and got away from the Lord and quit caring about their spiritual life. I have never seen a person do that on purpose. It has always been poisoned. It has always been a little increment of choices, doubts, questions, falsehoods that has brought them to a place when they never realized they were they were poisoned in their mind and ended up where they are. <clears throat> so, since a poisoned mind doesn't make good decisions, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> we need to invest in prevention over treatment. Amen? Better to build a fence at the top of the cliff than a hospital at the bottom. Prevention over treatment. Um, and if you have not noticed, if you have been here consistently over the last several Sundays, you will probably realize that that is what we have been trying to do. We have got to stop the poison. We have got to stop the deception. We have got to stop the, the wrong ideas about who God is and what God wants so that we can begin to have the health spiritually mentally in our life that God wants us to have so we can grow and go back to the first one and that is see what the Lord wants to do, commit to do it and be strong enough to carry it out. Amen? Amen. Would you stand? Father, I come before you for two things as I close. One, Help us to be tougher. Remove the quit out of our vocabulary. When we feel like the Lord's leading us to do something, just know it's going to get tough before it gets done and stay with it. We've got to quit quitting. Give us more backbone. Give us more faith. And then, Lord, I pray. We need to propagate the cure. We are in a tremendously negative time. Negativity is rampant. 
we probably realize we're surrounded by people who always are talking about something negative because it's everywhere. Lord, I pray, help us begin to speak truth. Speak truth. Study truth. And help us, Lord, starting from inside and working out. Help us to be healthy and knowledgeable and able to quickly identify so that the poison does not get in us, so that we do not lose our effectiveness. I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. 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 God bless you. God bless you.